Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 218, recorded October 17th, 2015. So we had so much fun with all the Mirror Universe stories we've had over the last few weeks that we thought we would actually delve into the Star Trek Mirror Images miniseries that IDW did in the uh, late, well, I guess it was uh, around 2009 so or somewhere, somewhere in the area. Right. right, early 2009. Right. So today we're just doing issues one through three. Right. Uh, five issues. Also available in other forms, including a consolidated uh, book, um, and which is actually what we're using. But we're going to go with the issue monikers. Um, and I, you know, there's so many possibilities with mirror image stories, right? I mean, you could do anything because there really is an infinite number of universes out there. So you could do any kind of little spin you'd like to. But this one, I think, is is pretty much sticking to the same evil universe that we're used to from the original Mirror Universe uh, Taz episode. And right. it, it tells us how did Kirk get the Enterprise in the first place? Right. With a little bit of... Uh, and it doesn't stick with one timeline. So we get uh, at least one story of a uh, young Picard. Mm-hmm. Great. So Yeah, I love that. Kind of get to jump around in the Mirror Universe timeline. Right, a little intermission in the middle, or uh, what do they call it, the uh, interlude. Interlude. Right, right, in the middle of the novel. And, and and this is great. I mean, there's never been a Picard Mirror Universe story, right? Uh, in, there's been a novel. Oh, a novel. Okay, but, uh, okay, but well, I but, haven't seen that. But, but not a comic book or... Uh, well, Pocket Books also did a, um, like a, a set of short stories. Okay. For mirror mirror universe short stories, and I think uh, there was some Picard ones in there, along with Archer and Cisco and everybody too. They all had their own little short stories. Oh, cool! Okay. Um, but aside from that, this this might be one of the only Picard mirror universe stories that I'm aware of. Right. And seeing the evil quote evil version of such a uh, a fine paragon of virtue. In our right. universe is very is very interesting, right? Yeah, and what and we'll have something to talk about it. But them trying to uh, tie in Nemesis, or at least how he looked as a young man, oh. from Nemesis is uh, is quite funny too. Well, yeah. When you first mentioned this to me, you sent me um, like the the cover of the third issue, the, the Picard one, right? Right. And I was looking at it, going. What the heck is this? Mirror Universe? And that looks like kind of like Tom Hardy. And it's like, what? Uh, is this going to be like a prelude to how Shazan? Was it Shazan? What, whatever uh, Shaz- his name was. Shazan. Shazan. Yeah. Uh, you know, is this some kind of... Oh, and, and there's the, the, the Stargazer. It's like, are they going to try to do this like a prequel to Nemesis or something? 
because they must have taken his uh, his genetic material a long time ago. Was it that right. far back into Stargazer days? I guess it makes sense. And it's like, nope, that wasn't it at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was Mary Universe. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it's all in all good stuff so far. Yeah, it is. Uh, you want to just uh, get going with uh, issue number one then? Please, let's. All right. So, um I'm actually reading this out of the Star Trek 100-page spectacular that came out in 2012. Uh, so issue one was reprinted in here along with some Captain's Log and Alien Spotlight issues. So hopefully I'm going to get all the the credits correct. So uh, the issue is called Mirror Images Number 1, written by Scott Tipton and David Tipton. Art by David Messina. Colors by Ilara Traversi. Letters by Chris... Mallory, uh, cover art by Joe Corney, uh, assistant edits by Chris Schrafe, and editor is Scott Dunbar. All right, so the cover for this one, actually there's multiple covers. So the first cover shows uh, Prime Spock and Mirror Spock staring off at each other, and then below them is the ISS Enterprise, and then there's a... Uh, evil Federation logo behind their heads. And then cover two is a uh, art picture of uh, Mirror Kirk. At least I think it's Kirk. It might be Pike, but I'm pretty sure it's Kirk. And then cover three is a photo of Mirror Spock and Kirk. So the story starts with a brief description of the possibilities of infinite universes. And then we find out that this story was actually set in the Mirror Universe from the episode Mirror Mirror. However, it is several years prior to that classic episode. So we see Pike subduing an alien race that was rebelling against the Federation. By shooting a few in the back, the aliens get back in line and will start working again in the mines. Pike still orders that a huge number of the aliens be executed to set a reminder to them to not do it again. As Pike is returning to his shuttle, it suddenly explodes. Luckily, Pike is able to escape without serious injury. He beams back to the Enterprise. Once back on the ship, McCoy is treating his minor cuts. The two talk about who would be bold enough to try to take out the captain in such a manner. Pike rules out Spock, Sulu, and Scotty, leaving a young Kirk as his prime suspect. McCoy has served with Kirk before and assures the captain that this is not his style, but he will keep his eyes open. Once Pike leaves medical, Kirk arrives and admits that he rigged the shuttle to explode. He also tells McCoy that he has been too hasty and that he should have waited until his mysterious device is functional. McCoy and Kirk start to plot other ways for Kirk to move up the ranks within the ship. Later, Kirk meets with Scotty about his need for an engineer to work on this mysterious device of his. He does not yet have all the parts, but when he does, he's going to need the mirror miracle worker to work his magic. Scotty confronts Kirk and asks that if he does not do this favor, will he disappear as so many others who have crossed Kirk have done in the past. He seems to want to keep his head, so he agrees. So Kirk states that the parts they need will be arriving by an Orion freighter within three days. Elsewhere on the ship, Pike is meeting with the goateed Mr. Spock about the shuttlecraft explosion. Spock confirms that the shuttle was sabotaged. 
Suddenly, a burly security guard arrives with Pike's new yeoman. The beautiful blonde woman offers to serve her captain in any way. So Pike takes her up on that offer, and the two leave for a more private location. Later, McCoy arrives at the captain's quarters. The yeoman is just leaving at that moment, adjusting her uniform on the way out. McCoy starts to tell the captain of all of Kirk's secret plans. To be continued. Kind of like how they ended it, making you wonder, uh, is McCoy really betraying Kirk or not? Or is this just part of Kirk's devious plan that he wants McCoy to go in and, and give uh, the captain disinformation? Right. So I kind of like that, it, you know, because obviously, you know, Kirk is in, in or McCoy is in Kirk's corner. But at the end, you kind of go, hmm makes you wonder right yeah and even after the second issue i'm still wondering so right because everybody's evil here right Um, evil is mccoy exactly now spock doesn't again spock was set up as the as the logical person uh even in the evil universe not that he couldn't do bad things it's just he's a little bit more um not as extremely different but all the humans are um Pretty evil, but you know, I like loyalty and some of the positive aspects of human uh, characteristics. Um, you never know here in this in these stories in in this universe, so. right? Yeah, no, I was surprised when McCoy came in there and said, "Here's here's all Kirk's evil plans." Right? And I was just like, <laughs> McCoy, no, not not you, Bones. <laughs> anyway. No, that part's good. It's a good mystery. Yeah. So, um, always liked the Pike character. Always thought that Jeffrey Hunter would have made uh, an excellent captain ongoing uh, right. if he hadn't turned down the offer to continue with the show. I don't um, think he was turned down. I don't think he no, turned no. down. He turned they... it down. That's not what I've heard. No, I've, heard I've read that he they... turned it down. His wife, in fact, I've read. That it was Jeffrey Hunter's wife that was influencing him to stick with movies, be a movie, act- continue to be a movie actor. Huh. I always read that uh, that the network made them change the the captain because they didn't want an older captain. They wanted a older, well, older than Shatner was. I've... So I, I don't I think... always read that that's the reason why they replaced him with Shatner because they they wanted to. I never to read go that. to a different demographic. I don't think Jeffrey Hunter was much different age than William Shatner. I mean, maybe a few years, but right. I mean, take take a look at Jeffrey Hunter. I mean, he's a good-looking guy in his thirties, or was. Right. I mean, I, I think they. I mean, we all know that they didn't like number one being a woman. We all know that. Yeah. Um. And and what else? They were okay with Spock. <laughs> uh, what else didn't they like? Um, well, they definitely didn't like number one being a woman, and they definitely didn't like those drab suits. So they wanted to get them the most gaudy colored. <laughs> I hadn't read about that, but that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, they did that because they wanted to really showcase color TV. Well, which... yeah, and wasn't six? I believe sixty six was like the first year that. A lot of the TV shows have switched over to color. Exactly. 
Right. Because I, I remember 65, Man From U.N.C.L.E. was still black and white. Um, and I don't know Lost in Space as well, but I'm pretty sure it was the same thing with them. Did Lost in Space ever actually go to color? Oh, yeah. Towards the end, right? Wow. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known that the carrot monster was orange. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that show is so bad at times. But um, the beginning of that, of Lost in Space, was quite good. I, I thought it took itself seriously, but it took a bad wrong turn. <laughs> uh, not too far down the line. Anyway, uh, so speaking of Jeffrey Hunter, I am struck by how burly David Messina drew... Um, Pike. So well, this he's is mirror Kurt. Mirror Pike. Mirror Pike. I, I know that, um, but he is burly, uh, almost disproportionately burly. So it's kind of cool because he's, um, you know, he's an imposing figure, and you want him to be because Kirk's going to beat him. Right. So he's got to be a uh, an imposing figure, a challenge for Kirk. And in the first frame, which takes up, or the first panel you see Pike in, which I believe is takes up the entire page, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the vantage point of the reader is you're below him. So, you know, Pike's up there and he's got these huge arms that, ha- you know, because the outfit he's got on is the same thing as Kirk wore when he was captain, you know, no sleeves or anything. And he just, his head almost looks tiny next to his, uh, his massive body. So right. uh, I, was, I was just struck by that. And let me just wrap up by saying, in many panels, especially the ones where they show um, Pike having a lot of emotion and, like, gritting his teeth and, like, you know, I'm going to get you or something like that. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of times he does not look that much like Jeffrey Hunter, uh, quite frankly. But there is one panel on page 16, maybe. I'm not sure which page. But – Oh, that, yeah, I'm not, page 16. It is bottom of page 16. The drawing of Pike in there looks just like uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Very accurate. I like, I like that. Page 16? 16. 16 just shows uh, Kirk, and McCoy, uh, Kirk and Scotty talking. Um, okay, this is the book. This is the, the consolidated book that I'm looking right. at. Right. Uh, you said you were looking at what? No, I'm looking at the the graphic novel now. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay, you're right. I got the wrong page. So okay. I'll I'll find the right page, and I will let you know. Well, the, when he's talking to Spock at the, on 18, I thought he looked a lot like uh, Pike. For the yeah. most part, I thought he looked more like Pike than than not. Like the actor. But, yeah, like uh, what is Jeffrey, it? Jeffrey Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess a, a few times, especially in that first panel uh, that you were talking about earlier where he's all ah, menacing looking. Right. To me, he looked like – I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a character called Black Adam from the Shazam comics. Not familiar. And uh, he looks like Black Adam there. Ah, Just cool. this huge muscular guy with the, you know, the face and shadow and stuff like right. that. He looked like a, that character. Cool. Anyway, Page so, 26. 26. Bottom of 26. Spot on. Uh, yeah, right, right. Where he's talking to McCoy about Kirk's shenanigans. Right. And at the bottom, which takes up a good chunk of the bottom of the page, um, big headshot, head and shoulders, and that is, that's Jeffrey Hunter. Right. 
So. Right. So w- w- just speaking with about uh, McCoy being there, uh, they do mention in dialogue that McCoy is fairly new to the ship as well. Yep. Um, and that uh, he replaced Piper, which Piper was the doctor in um, the original pilot. Yep. The cage. I thought that was, that was good. Yeah. And they said, they also said it was an accident. He uh, He died because of an accident. Right. Which immediately gets you thinking, oh, Kirk. Kirk killed him. Kirk arranged his death. But I'm kind of getting the fact, I'm kind of getting that Kirk came onto the ship after McCoy, so Kirk what? arranged. After after McCoy? Yeah. Is that I don't what you get, get that impression at all. Oh, really? I think Kirk's been on the ship a while. As first, well, I think he's been on the ship for a while. Okay. And he's been able to, because one thing, especially as we get into more issues, and you and I spoke about this before we started the recording, but there. Kirk's strategic and tactical mind, uh, planning out things and stuff in in the normal uh, good universe, our universe, prime universe, whatever, um, is being put to use here. But for nefarious uh, things that make more sense in this universe, and one of the things is you're as you're you're getting more and more hints of where uh, Kirk has been planning transition for a while and he's been moving his pieces into place and McCoy is one of them um, and apparently making you know good allies at least to some degree with Scotty at least as much as he needs to right um, it sounds like he definitely does not have an ally in Sulu but um, he does have other he's got he's got pieces to play on the ship and I right. thought Kirk came on before McCoy and I thought Kirk was directly responsible for Piper uh, biting the big one, uh, so McCoy could come on. That makes sense, but I I didn't get that from any of the dialogue because they keep talking about young Kirk and yeah. I keep and I kept thinking that well maybe that's because he's fairly new to the ship after McCoy, but you could be right in that McCoy uh, McCoy came in after. Um, one of the things they do show Kirk doing, which, which I was confused about is when he's talking to Scotty, there's a little one panel flashback or whatever of him stabbing a woman in the back. Yep. So who is that? Well, it looks like Marla, doesn't it? I mean, his girlfriend in the original Taz episode, what what was her name? What? Uh, I I may have her name. It began with an M anyway. Right. So it looks like her, and I'm totally confused. <laughs> because I mean, Why did they draw it like her? Because she has to be there for, um, you know, for what happens uh, uh, several years down the road that we saw in the original Mirror Mirror universe or episode. Right. right. Or maybe it's somebody else. And he doesn't – I mean, they, they explain almost nothing about the circumstances of that. Except that Kirk had to do what he had to do, and he's more than willing to stab a woman in the back. Um, yeah, and right. it's also kind of cool that they made it black and white, kind of signifying, oh, this is memory, this is in the, the past, memory. whatever. Yeah. Uh, which they did a lot of in the first season Walking Dead episode, but um, that they just that just came out a few weeks ago, maybe a week ago. Um, but and okay. 
that completely reminded me also of Casino Royale when they had that great sequence towards the beginning of that movie where uh, oh, right. where Craig was like in the past and having a very violent uh, fight in a in a bathroom, killing somebody. Anyway. To get his double O status, right. Exactly. So I thought anyway, I'm gonna sorry. <laughs> I'm on tangents. Right. So I, I, I the only person I could think of that this could be is Pike's current yeoman because hmm. later he gets a new yeoman. Uh-huh. And uh in the story at least where I've read because I haven't read the whole series, uh, oh, she point. hasn't really played a factor in the Kirk's exactly. shenanigans, but she potentially could. Well, talk about people being moved into place. Right. And so by the-, the way, she is gorgeous, big, tall, blonde. Is that supposed to be uh Yeoman Rand? I don't know. I mean, but it's not that Mariano. It's not his. It's not Kirk's yeoman. From no, the, no, from not later. at all. No. Actually, the, would, I did not think of that, but all that makes more sense. It doesn't make any sense several years in the future when she's supposed to be there and be Kirk's woman. But it does make so. Oh, wow, that makes sense. So yeah, so he kills the current yeoman of Pike to bring his chess piece into play, right? Which is Yeoman Rand. Or maybe a chick that looks a lot like Yeoman Rand. And when they show her, she is it's – not, it's not a full-page thing like Pike got, but it's, it's full length of right. the page. So the whole left half of the page is her, and she's striking, beautiful, everything. It's just that they allocated a lot of real estate to her. So you figure she's going to play a bigger role later. Right. And, and I have not read these comics. This, I'm only read through three. Right. Yeah, she just doesn't look like Rand, so I don't know if that's who right. she's supposed to be. But when when I first saw her, I thought, well, maybe she was supposed to be. But they never call her anything other than Yeoman. Right. And I didn't even think of Rand uh, when I was reading it. But I did when you were you were talking about it. And it may not be Rand. Probably not. I just want to know what their job description is as far as what what the yeoman is supposed to be doing in this mirror universe. <laughs> Anything the captain wants. Because they really don't waste any time. She's like, hey, captain, I'm your new yeoman. And he's like, well, let's go to the bedroom. <laughs> it's just like, wow, that was fast. Very fast. Yeah. Um, so I was interested in the original opening pages to see Kelso, definitely, um, who, of course, is not – yeah, he – Yeah, he's in the so, – So Kelso – is he? I definitely know he is in um, the second pilot where no man has gone before. I definitely know he's there. Was he in the eh, – maybe he was. I thought he was anyway. the redheaded guy um... – He's not redheaded. He's not kind red-headed, of blondish. The, the blonde guy that was with with them on the on the, the pilot. mission. I well, okay. So in the original pilot, there was a blonde guy, but he had a little bit more of a boyish face, and I don't remember his name. Maybe he was Kelso. I don't know. Um, I'd have to go back and look. But I mean, so, but definitely, I know for a fact Kelso was in where no man has gone before. So okay. maybe he's a character that made it into both pilots. Uh, or maybe they're just, for the heck of it, mixing in a little second pilot character? I don't know. Anyway, I thought that Either was interesting. But, but, 
my main point about that is not actually Kelso, although it was cool seeing him, even though he looks nothing like the actor. Um, but the shuttle. So the shuttle, which blew up, by the way, uh, its its registry is NCC seventeen oh one seven, which is Galileo. Exactly, exactly. It should be the Galileo seven, but it isn't. It's the uh, Bellarmine or Bellarmine. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. So I was like, wow, it's got the Galileo 7 registry, but it's got a totally different name that I do not recognize. So is this what? Why? So I went ahead and did a search, and the first thing that came up was Robert Bellarmine, who actually is an Italian saint in the Catholic Church. So I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Is that what they're referring to? It, well, by the way, it's also a university in um, in Kentucky or something. But whatever. I figured that had nothing to do with it. But I did a little bit more research on um, St. Bellarmine. And it turns out that he was actively involved in uh, the church's sanctioning of Galileo. Uh, so Galileo had his own theories, but he also was a big proponent of um, the the theories of Copernicus. And I think they call it Copernican uh, theories, whatever. Okay. Which is really mainly uh, the orbits of planetary bodies around, you know, the, the more significant thing that they orbit around. And, of course, the main thing is the sun is in the middle and the Earth goes around the sun, not the sun going around the Earth. Right. So basically, the Earth is not the center of the universe. So, um, so it was like, and, and so, with I found a site that actually had said uh, in 1616, on the orders of uh, Paul V, Bellarmine summoned Galileo and notified him of a forthcoming decree of the Congregation of the Index, condemning the Copernican doctrine of the mobility of the earth and the immobility of the sun and ordered him to abandon it. And uh, Galileo agreed to do so. So it was like, oh, okay, okay, fine. So in the, uh, in the alternate universe, in the evil universe, it's, the, uh, it's one of the main people involved in uh, f- at least suppressing uh, some of the Copernican ideas, Galileo ideas that turns out to be the person that the evil folks choose to uh, name a shuttle after. Right. So it's like, oh. Really cool. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I I think it is. I mean, you could have, you know, different ideas about about the Catholic Church and other churches in the past and things like that. But um, I thought that the Tiptons went to this trouble uh, to put that little – it's an Easter egg, really. Right, right. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. No, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't catch that. I mean, I caught that it wasn't the Galileo, but I didn't catch that the, it should have been. I didn't look at the registry number. That's that's a good catch. Yeah, well, it just it just struck me as unnecessarily inconsistent, unless something else was going on. So. Right. Nice. Yeah. All in all, this, these stories are really well written. I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, nicely drawn, high quality all the way around. Yep. Yep, I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. Right. 
Anything else? Uh, no. No, that's it. Shall we move on? Let's do. Okay, so issue two, um, and in the consolidated book, it's chapter two, uh, is... Okay, so this one was published... Well, okay, let's... Mm, the consolidated book came out February 2009. I'm not sure when the original issues came out, the individual issues. Uh, the creative team is... Well, the creative team shifts around a little bit. So let me just mention the creative team just for the overall book. And then that'll cover everything. Because there's a few extra names involved that was not involved in the first issue, apparently. So Scott and David Tipton are the writers. Artist, David Messina. Art assistants by Sarah Picelli. Uh, letterer is Chris Maury, Robbie Robbins, and Neil Yataki. You know, apparently different letterers and the different issues. Colorist. Like Donovan mentioned, Ilara Traversi, I think. And then also Giovanna Nero uh, did an issue or two. Um, co-editor is Scott Dunbuyer. Cover art, Joe Corney, yes. Collection edits, so this only applies to the consolidated document. Um, Justin Isinger. Collection design by Neil Yutaki. Chapter 2 sees the continuation of McCoy and Pike's discussion as to Kirk's plans. Pike is not impressed with McCoy's intel. He wants more details than the Doctor is offering. Pike acknowledges how McCoy is relatively new to the Enterprise since the accidental death of Dr. Piper and that McCoy has a prior relationship with Kirk from another posting. Pike asks out loud whether trusting McCoy was such a good idea. McCoy tells him his allegiances to the Enterprise and her captain. Pike tells McCoy that if he can't get Kirk's head on a platter, he will get McCoy's. McCoy acknowledges the situation he is in and leaves. Later, in a briefing room, Pike and Kirk are briefing Scotty, Spock, McCoy, and Sulu on a business opportunity that Kirk came up with. The captain's greed is overriding his better judgment, as he tells them about Kirk's plan to meet an Orion trader who has a load of top-grade dilithium crystals that he is willing to trade for phaser rifles. The trader's ship will arrive soon. Kirk and Sulu will meet with them and make the trade. Pike promises a cut of the profits for them all. Kirk talks to Scotty after the meeting and makes sure the talented engineer is ready to assemble the device when it comes aboard with the Orions. Scotty says he is, but would prefer to know more about the device before he is called upon to install it. The Orion ship lands in the shuttle bay. Kirk and Sulu make the trade, and in the process are introduced to three seductively beautiful Orion slave women. They practically rape Sulu, and in the process distract him totally, which allows Kirk to accidentally discover a false bottom to one of the dilithium containers that holds multiple bottles of Bolian brew. Sulu says that stuff makes Romulan ale look like tonic water. It gives Kirk a reason to run the Orion trader off the ship. To appease Kirk, the trader offers Kirk the three slave women, in addition to the dilithium. When the trader leaves the ship with the phaser rifles and the bullion brew, Kirk takes the women to his room for a getting-to-know-you session. 
Scotty comes in a little while later and sees the three lovelies naked down to their boots. The three were wearing the parts of the secret device as their clothes, what clothes they had on. Meanwhile, the Orion traders, speeding away from the Enterprise, are discussing how the plan went just like Kirk said it would. Little did they realize it was about to go even more like Kirk planned. The Orion ship turns into a mini-sun as it goes up in flames. Later, McCoy joins Kirk as he is walking through the hallway. McCoy says long-range scanners picked up the Orion ship exploding on the other side of the nebula. McCoy knows as Kirk's doing and says he needs to dial it down a notch. It's a dangerous game Kirk's playing. Kirk conjectures that maybe a defective phaser rifle could have set off the rest? Hmm? Or maybe it was simply engine failure. Good day, Doctor. In his office with Spock, Pike expresses his surprise that Kirk actually delivered a tidy little profit. Pike says that maybe he can trust Kirk after all. Spock says maybe that is exactly what he wants you to believe. In Kirk's quarters, Scotty is working on assembling the jigsaw puzzle with no manual or even a picture of what the finished device is supposed to look like. Kirk says he has total confidence that Scotty will get the job done. Kirk leaves and strides down the hall, confidently thinking that finally things are going to plan. The Orions are gone, so they can't trace the device to him. Kirk thinks your destiny is what you make of it. End of chapter two. So Kirk is, he's, he's mastermind in this, uh, in this issue. Completely. <laughs> like like that, that great strategic and tactical mind, which gets them out of so many jams, is being completely applied to very evil, nefarious uh, ends. Right. Yeah, I was really confused when, you know, where, where this, the, what was it, Bolian Ale or whatever it was. <laughs> I... I did not know where all that was coming from. No, but, yeah, but but you you heard what what Kirk had said to Sulu. I didn't I didn't mention it in in the synopsis, but he says to Sulu, "You know, I hear they actually they actually they make it from actual bolians." Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but bolians that's the barber on the Enterprise D, isn't he, he bolian? Right. Yep, he's bolian, and he's kind of blue colored, mm-hmm. and this this. Bolian brew is blue colored. <laughs> and so a drink actually made from a sentient life form would probably be frowned upon in in our normal prime uh universe. Right. But in this universe, hey, no problem. Still illegal though, which which yeah. I found funny. That's right. It probably shouldn't have been, should it? I, I guess there's there's lines that even mere universe can't cross. Unless it's on the sly. <laughs> So, anyways, so um, what'd you think of the three girls wearing Princess Leia uh, bikinis? <laughs> I thought it was. I thought they were drawn exceedingly well, <laughs> and uh, and that was definitely a very sexual part of the book. I mean, now do I think what little they had on could account for all the parts in his secret? you know disintegration from a distance device right uh no i don't 
Because I remember yeah. what it looked like. I mean, it was like a monitor kind of thing, right? Or at least you saw the mon. It looked almost like a picture, like like a mirror in a frame. Right. Is what it looked like. And I didn't see anything that looked like that on those scantily clad women. Again, scantily clad. Yeah, they they're just basically wearing metal bikinis that, and and one of them looks exactly like the one Princess Leia wore in, in uh, Return of the Jedi huh. to kind of give you an idea of, of how much or how little there is. Exactly right. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I was, and then when it shows Scotty going through it, I was like, man, that looks like a lot more than than you started off with there, buddy. right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one of them had a, a pattern buffer in in there and it just uh replicated uh, what was all this extra stuff uh, i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know but that's fine anyway it was an interesting way to sneak it in because because when he found the false bottom i was like oh, okay this is there's a, there's another one with a false bottom that has all the parts in it but he's gonna make a big deal of the bolian brew one and right. uh you know distract everybody but i was wrong it was he was distracting them for a completely different reason and the the merchandise was hidden elsewhere. Yeah. And quite frankly, if they did what you said, I think that would have been good enough. They didn't have to go to this point where supposedly the women are wearing, you know, the parts. I didn't think they had to, I didn't think they had to go that far. But, but then you wouldn't have yeah, the, how, the nakeds. Well, that, and also how does he actually get it from the, uh, from the shuttle bay? Right. Into his room. So. Right. Well, I really thought that these girls were going to distract Sulu, you know, by, you know, Yeoman Rand style from the first issue. Right. Right. And then he was going to have all the time he wanted to to, to get the, the real merchandise out. Right. But like I said, I was wrong again. <laughs> yep. Well, it's kind of like, well, that's a logical thing to accept or expect the way they did it. So they kind of showed you kind of like an obvious easy way for Kirk to achieve it. And then that's just a distraction. And there's really a harder way that he does it. As right. long as you buy off on the idea that these three women can hold on to all the parts in Princess Leia outfits. So, right. Do you think that that's, this might be another reason why Sulu hates Kirk so much in the future? <laughs> because he got that, the women? Or that what Kirk got the three women and he didn't. <laughs> he, he got a bottle of bullion brew. Oh, did he? Did he actually keep one? I don't know. It just shows him holding it. Oh, okay, yeah. Who knows where, where it actually ended up? Well, Sulu had these women all... I mean, they were licking him up and down. So it's like, then all of a sudden, Kirk ends up with him. I completely agree. I mean, and you never really see Sulu, like, saying that much. Uh, so it was like, I would be... Yeah, I'd be angry. <laughs> they and were, they were lighting my fire. In the future. Yep. There you go. They were lighting my fire, and Kirk ends up with him. What the heck? <laughs> anyway, my only complaint about the the bullying women, and then mm. then I'll get off the subject, but they're right. not green enough. Ah, yeah, because uh, aside from a little green sheen in their hair, you know, which mostly is black, but then it has like a little green tint to it. Right. Uh, they they don't look like what I think of as bullions, which is the the bright green. Well, okay, Orion. Uh, Orion. What did I say? Bullions. You said bullion. Oh, yeah. No, bullions are bald and Yeah, they almost look green. Or no, not green. Gray. gray. They look gray. Yeah, and even the, the, the man, too, he looks gray, too. Right. I think they sh- I agree. They should definitely be more green. Right. So, coloring, a little off. It, it's a nitpick. Yeah. 
Yep. So, um, so I just again page twenty seven of the of the consolidated book. Uh, I mentioned it before. It's where it, it really does look like Jeffrey Hunter, and I just it just came to me. It's like Jeffrey Hunter always will be for me, Captain Pike. That is Captain Pike for me. Now, mind you, Bruce Greenwood in the movies did a great Captain Pike. Love right. the character, and I think Bruce Greenwood did a great job uh, bringing bringing reboot Pike to life. But Jeffrey Hunter is always will be, uh, you know, Captain Pike. Whenever I think of Captain Pike, I just want to say that. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought uh, Bruce Greenwood did was bring the character Pike to the you know the majority of the people that didn't even know who Pike was. Cause, yeah. I mean, aside from the Menagerie episode, you know, he's not mentioned ever again, and. Um, and a lot of people hadn't seen the cage. So right. I, I really liked that they kept him in the new continuity. Oh, yeah. I hate that they wrote him off so quick. Well, uh, he was Obi-Wan Kenobi, so he had to die. Yeah, for for Kirk seen. to fully ascend, he had to die. Sorry. They couldn't have just kept him in the wheelchair? and. <laughs> no. I'm glad they didn't do that to him. Because that was a drag. I mean, quite frankly, in the menagerie, right? It's like that was a that was an unfortunate way for uh, a very favorite character of mine to end up. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Of course, when he did get killed, that was kind of a drag too. But yeah, yeah. like a big drag. But eh. yeah, I just wish he would have had a bigger part in in both movies. But right, it, it wasn't his show; it was the Kirk show. So yeah, exactly. So, and so he was combination father slash Obi Wan Kenobi. So, and they really ran, they really ringed out a lot of emotion in the uh, second movie with that idea, right? That was good stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess I just had some notes here about how many people Kirk really has in his pocket, and I think we really covered that in the last issue. So what about Ahura? Do you think she's – who do you think well, she's Well, very interesting. Her. Well, yeah, because we all – correct me if I'm wrong, but Ahura only shows up in the background on the bridge in one panel. That's all I remember seeing her. Um, yeah. Is she in more than yeah. that? Uh, no, she's in there a couple panels, but she's always oh, in the background. Oh, is she? Okay. I think she has one line. Yeah, so the one line is like on page 32 of the Consolidated Book, and that was the first time I noticed her. Right. Um – yeah, I, I, you know, maybe she won't, maybe she won't turn out to be too much a pivotal character because they're they're not giving her much uh, book time, right? So maybe she'll come out surprise ally of Kirk, but I, I really think the card he has yet to play is obviously the is almost obviously the Omen, whatever right. her name turns out to be, but there could be others like yeah, or her as possible. I was just surprised on how many of the Kirk crew Enterprise uh, crew are, are there versus, you know, nobody from Pikes. I mean, number one's not there. Oh, yeah. Good point. You know, I would have liked yeah. to have seen a few more of those characters kind of right. mingled in. You know, you mentioned Piper dying, but 
So you're saying when Piper leaves the st- ship, you know, Ahura and Sulu and everybody else was already there too. Just makes me makes well, me uh, I don't know. kind of miss some of the other characters. Yeah. Well, Chekhov isn't there, and you figure he shouldn't be. That we know of. It's too early. That that we know of. <laughs> but he what season two is that where he came on? Right. In Taz. So um, you know this is prior to Taz, so you wouldn't expect Chekhov. But uh, but good point about more of Pike's crew. That's a very good point. Um, so maybe Kelso. Maybe uh, is an example of somebody from Pike's uh, original Cage crew, but yeah, that's a very good point. Hadn't thought about that. So uh, you didn't mention the covers. Can I can I mention them real quick? Well, I have no idea about the covers since I have the consolidated one. Right. So, so I don't know uh, what the other ones were. Okay. So let me go real quick. So the the first cover is actually kind of interesting. It shows Mirror Kirk, okay, uh, holding a, a ball of some sort. And inside this glowing yellow ball, we see Prime Kirk, kind of like like he's trapped inside of a crystal ball, kind of trying to bang his way out. Hmm. Um, what that's supposed to mean, because absolutely has nothing to do with the story, but it's just a, an interesting visual. Cool. And then there's a, a, a picture of the Enterprise underneath that. And then they came out with a um, sketch cover of that same one, black and white. And then the last one was a, a photo cover of just a... Mirror Kirk in his uh, sleeveless tunic. Cool. And the publishing dates of these three books: uh, the first one came out June of eighty, uh, June of two thousand eight. Ah. Second one, July of two thousand eight, and then the third one, which I'll do here in a little bit, is September of two thousand and eight. Cool. So the consolidated issue book didn't come out until the next year, right? Interesting. So, since you're a phaser guy, are, are these phasers accurate for Taz or Pike's era? Oh, well, it's not. Yeah. Okay. So, that's. A, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because they could have gone either way depending upon. But I, th- I think they're close enough to the Taz time frame that uh, they've already replaced the old uh, Pike phasers that sometimes they call lasers. It depends upon uh, books you read uh, with the traditional, pretty much traditional uh, phasers uh, from Taz. The only thing is there are many panels, especially the first ones where Pike is hunting down that four-legged, or no, uh, yeah, uh, four-legged, four-armed minor alien guy where it very much is the Taz phaser except for the fact that there is no black – um, phaser type one. The the entire thing is like a light, uh, like a light blue gun blue color. Mm. Now there are other panels where they're showing a phaser. They do acknowledge that there's like something black on top, but it really isn't the. It it really doesn't quite look like the phaser type one. It just looks like it's more of like. Like just one unit, you know, and as everybody knows that would be listening to this podcast, the thousands that are listening to this podcast, <laughs> that the phaser type one clicks into the top of the phaser type two, and they're two very different devices, and the one just clicks into the other. Most right. panels, matter of fact, I can't think of any panel that truly acknowledges the phaser type one properly. But other than that, 
I think the phasers look pretty good. Uh, Taz phasers. Right. What about page 38 of the, the graphic novel? Oh, let me get to that. Uh, page 38, 38, 38. Okay. Oh, I was close to that one. Uh, yeah, uh, 37. They show a shot of it. Ah! Oh, okay. Oh, that's true. Okay, so that one looks good. Right. Yeah, that, that looks good. And it and that more... So there's a close-up of Kirk holding the phaser on the Orion Trader. And it's very closed in, uh, close up on Kirk. And there's a very big picture of the phaser, and that one does actually look good. And phaser type one looks right. But if you look at the page before, where Kirk is going through the um, right through the container uh, and finding the fake compartment, there's a shot where you do see the phaser, but it's from more of a distance. And there is some black on top of the phaser, but it's not in the right place. Um, and there's no controls or anything. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a plain black uh, chunk of uh, black on top of the phaser. Yeah, that's true. Right. But the next page, you're right, That that's the money shot. Right, and the main reason I brought it up is because I was thinking that uh, the the one Pike had in the first issue, right. looked, you know, I, I went back and looked, but uh, I was thinking that it had more of a, like a parabolic, not parabolic, uh, you know, more of a, more of a lens, more of a, pointy thing <laughs> than this one on this page but i went back and and i was wrong so it just yeah. uh it, it it still looks a little more pointy but uh it, it doesn't look like the you know the the twisty knob the twisty phaser that uh oh that they had in the menagerie yeah it's not yeah it's it's not the original phaser right definitely and if you look at what Pike is holding, and maybe it's because it's from a further distance than that close-up, those close-ups, and those are very nice close-ups, by the way, later in the book where Kirk is holding onto it. Mm -hmm. um, it just looks like one light blue chunk of gun. Right. There's no acknowledgement of a different color or the phaser type one. It's just one chunk of blue. Right. And maybe that's just a coloring thing in one panel. But in another panel, it just looks... Eh, whatever. Generally a good job, but there are a few pages that's not as good. Right. But it's not the focus, so the phaser really isn't that much the focus in there, and they do just a gorgeous job on page 38. I think it was 38 that you said that uh, definitely cut them slack on the other panels. <laughs> cool. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, not not on this one. All right, well, we're going to switch gears a little bit and move forward in time with issue number three. Uh, so as far as publishing goes, this came out of September of 2008. There is only one cover, and uh, we meant, we kind of talked about it earlier. It, the uh, the middle of the cover shows a Tom Hardy-esque Picard standing in the middle of the page doing a Hail Hitler-type salute. Uh, behind him, we see the face of a Patrick Stewart-styled Picard. And in the foreground, we see the Stargazer being chased by some Cardassian ships. The story starts off with young Picard standing over a Vulcan captain who he had just killed with a knife. And he is now assuming command of the ship. So then we flash to one hour earlier. We learn that the captain is named Sorik, and he is captain of the ISS Starbreaker. Because Stargazer is just too nice of a, a name for a ship here in this mirror universe. <laughs> Not evil enough. 
<laughs> so Captain Sarek of the ISS Starbreaker is being informed by Jack Crusher that communications from the ISS Gettysburg has been lost. Emotionalist as always, Sorek tells them that the ship could not have been attacked by Klingons or Cardassians because they would not dare antagonize the much larger Federation. A woman named Morgan and Picard share whispered comments about his faulty logic. They also share their displeasure with Spock leading the Federation, which they now see as being a weak empire. Assuming that the Vulcan hearing in the Mirror Universe is just as acute as it is in the Prime Universe, we are to assume that Surik heard all of this. But instead of calling them out on it, he simply asks if they have anything to report. Both young officers stand up and say they do not. Later, the Starbreaker arrives at the last coordinates of the Gettysburg. There is no sign of the other ship, when suddenly a Klingon and Cardassian ship appear. The Cardassians contact them and tell them that they destroyed the Gettysburg and that they will now destroy them. Sorek thinks that this is a bluff until the alien crafts start to attack. The Starbreaker is taking a beating. Sorek orders a retreat, but they take a photon torpedo in the tailpipe on their way out, and Jack Crusher dies in the explosion. Two more alien craft arrive and they box in the Starbreaker. Sork orders communication to give them the signal of surrender. Knowing what Klingons and Cardassians do to prisoners, Picard takes it upon himself to get a battlefield promotion by stabbing Sork in the back. Once the captain is down, Picard starts to take command and he pilots the ship to a micro jump at warp 9 towards the oncoming Cardassian ships. The small jump confuses the Cardassian and Klingon fleet enough so that Picard is able to pilot the ship and get away at full warp. Safe from imminent danger, the newly captained Picard opens a shipwide communication and informs the crew of his promotion. He tells the crew that he will no longer be subservient to Emperor Spock and the, his Vulcan's subordinates. They will take the fight to the Cardassians and the Klingons. With this, cries of Hail Picard can be heard shipwide. Morgan asks for a destination. Picard gives the order, and he punctuates it with the phrase, Make it so. The end. Perfect! Perfect way to end the story. Yep, quite good. Engage. Evil engage. Does he say engage, or does he say make it so? Or make it so. Make it so, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> you, had me, you had me question it there for a second. Well, it should have been engage, but make it so is good. Right. So wonderful. So interesting um, to see how <laughs> – so both captains, we're seeing how both captains uh, come to power. Now, Picard might be evil, but he's not – duplicit enough or scheming enough that he's got some grand plan going on. Um, he might have had thoughts along the way, but definitely it's circumstances that bring him to the point of killing his captain, not ambition. Right. Yep. He just a quick knife to the back. That's all he needed. Right. Very, very interesting how they put the stake in the ground that Spock ultimately uh, in the future 
at least in this particular dimension, uh, becomes uh, the emperor. Right. Very interesting. Hmm. Right. Which, which, which I think is contrary to what uh, Mirror uh, Kira Nerys tells our Kira Nerys that they're after Picard's or after Kirk's visit to the Mirror Universe. That at some point there was a uh, Emperor Tiberius, mm-hmm. yeah, which I always assumed was Kirk, yeah, but uh, but maybe not. Maybe maybe there's another captain after Spock's overthrown that takes the name of Tiberius. I don't know. Yeah, but it 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 comes down to the fact that different writers are writing this stuff at different times, and. Uh, some of the stakes put in the ground in the past isn't quite where they want to go, and they can always say, "Well, it's a slightly different dimension than that one," and get away with it. They could, right, right, because I mean, this doesn't have to be the same mirror universe. Exactly. So that's that's always the get out of jail free card, <laughs> where you can do whatever you want. Really, that's something that makes the um, the mirror universe theme such a popular one. Right. Possibilities. But I do like that in this story, you know, Picard and Morgan are talking. They they acknowledge that it, it, even though the Vulcans don't want to admit it, that uh, the Federation's on its way out. I mean, it's it's not nearly as powerful as – The Empire. As, uh, yeah, the Empire. Excuse me. That, uh, you know, so that that – is in line with what we learn later on during the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes. Yeah. In that the humans are completely taken over by Cardassians. And, and, and uh, I mean, the Cardassians are the leaders in, in that universe, right? I think they even overthrow the Klingon Empire. Uh, or am I misremembering? No, the, the Klingons are there, right? It's, the, it's just the humans that are, were overthrown. Do you remember? Um, okay, so so is this the one where the Klingons take uh, take over the Earth, uh, the Terran Empire, and take over Earth? This is this is the Deep Space Nine one, right? The crossover with. Well, no, you're thinking about the com- the comic book. I'm talking about the actual episodes. Oh, oh, okay. With Smiley and everybody. Right. But yeah, you no, know, in those yeah, episodes, it was the remember. Klingons and the Cardassians were had teamed up, and they had taken over the the universe. Because Garrick was like on a leash, he was like a because he sympathized with the humans or something, right? Gosh, but it's but been... yeah, I remember. But uh, Worf was command of a giant ship. He he was so he wouldn't have been subservient to the the Cardassians. So no, right. I'm, I, I was right. Okay, but anyways, I like this story sets that up that you know even though Picard is going out on his own, we know that ultimately. One ship's not going to make that big of a difference, and it's not named Enterprise, so I mean that's that's a big miss there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we know it's not going to do too terribly much. Well, okay, yeah, but they had it had to be the Stargazer or Starbreaker oh, in this case. No, absolutely. No, everybody uh, knows that's Picard's first command. So, right. Uh, I was just being a little facetious, oh, okay. but uh, but no, I thought this was a great setup to what we we do learn later on. My only my only complaint was that. You know the whole Emperor Spock versus an Emperor Tiberius, right? 
Uh, aside from so, that, I thought this was a good setup for what we learned later on in Deep Space Nine. So they'll stick with continuity where it suits them, and they'll go off where some really cool idea that they like uh, takes them. So yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Well, again, it was just a throwaway line about Emperor Tiberius, and, and I'm the one who, who's grabbing onto that and making more out of it than maybe it really is. Who knows? Who knows? Exactly. But if they have enough comics, we'll fill it all in. <laughs> and they will disagree with each other apart <laughs> at times. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So I love that they did Starbreaker rather than Stargazer. That makes yeah, so much sense. Cool. And what do uh, you think about the uniforms? Oh, I thought the uniforms looked cool. I thought they were yeah. great. So they look like the Wrath of Khan type uniforms, right. but with a uh, Mirror Universe spin, spin. flare. The women are still wearing midriffs and things like that, but the but for the most part, everybody's wearing very similar to the the burgundy uniforms, just with a sash. Right. Yeah, I think it I looks like quite it good. Looks quite good. Yeah, as far as art style goes, my only beef was the stubble on Picard's head. Yeah, what was that about? She's she's on didn't have stubble, and in that one picture. He shows Beverly, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart shows Beverly of, you remember this guy? And it was obviously Tom Hardy, supposed to be young Picard. He was completely bald there, too. So I don't know why they had to keep drawing stubble. I guess to show that he was mirror universe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I thought it looked kind of uh, unattractive. Because <laughs> uh, it's really stubble. Right. I mean, you could see the skin... Easily between the follicles. So, yeah, whatever. I think they're just trying to say, hey, it's it's a younger Picard. He still has some hair up there. But okay. <laughs> they don't want to give him too much. So. Uh, I think I think they're just thinking, you know, Spock can have a goatee. Uh, Picard can have stubble. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, I would have preferred it just being smooth. Right. So, um... What's with this micro jump? Because quite yeah. frankly, if you can, if you have a tactic where you do a micro jump, couldn't you like do a real jump? I mean, if you got enough room to get past these guys. And by the way, yeah, they got two ships in front of them. They got two ships in back of them. But hello, three dimensions. You know, tilt, tilt upward and go. Right. <laughs> you know. It's not like they can box you in that easier if you've got, you know, 360 degrees of options. Anyway, so if, you, if you're able to get around the ships, past the ships with a micro jump, you're able to go full warp. So, whatever. Right, and, and also, I mean, how much distance was between them and the oncoming uh, Klingon and, and Cardassian ship? Because yeah. even, even just a, a second, if you're going yep. a second at... Nine, uh, to nine to the uh, the speed of light to the yeah. power of nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna make up a lot of speed, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna cover a lot of distance. That's right. And, and they're and, and they're just sitting there in front of them. Right. Yeah. So they're either going backwards at at warp seven or five or whatever it's at, or uh, all of a sudden the Enterprise stopped. Right. So it's like, why would you do that? Alter your course slightly and go right over them. 
Right. Wouldn't wouldn't you be able to do that? No. no. The the only thing I liked about it was, you know, he made the comment that because they went forward so fast that to the to the to the fleet it looked like there was two stargazers or starbreakers. But uh but it didn't make sense. Well it would only look like there yeah. was two for like half a second. Like a fraction that. of a second. Yeah. So that supposedly they were firing at the where they were rather than where they are. So whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't dig that part. But that's it, you know, quite frankly, in these Star Trek stories, you know, there's usually something where they're stuck in a really tough situation, and they figure out a cool tactic to get out of it. When those tactics make sense, wonderful, love it. That's a good idea. And when the tactics are kind of BSy, like this one, it's like, okay, I'll go with it, but demerit points on the lame tactic. Well, yeah, I mean, this really reminded me of the end of the Enterprise incident when they're surrounded by all the Romulans. Right. And then right. Kirk does some sort of, like, let's go under them. And they just, that's the end of the episode. No, no, they, the Enterprise incident? Yeah, isn't that oh, the they, one where no, they, they steal got, the cloaking ship? Yeah, but they, no, the, the cloaking, cloaking device. device, they plugged it into the Enterprise. Scotty got the cloaking device working. That's how they got away. Mm. Yes. So you saw the Enterprise go cloaked for the first time in that episode. The only time. Fine. The only time. <laughs> okay, so they don't they don't do like a little maneuver to get underneath the Romulan ships. Uh, if or they over them? if they do that, that's a temporary tactic that still does not get them out of trouble. Okay. Because it was the fact that Scotty finally got the uh, cloaking device working that they were able to get away. Okay. All right. Well, maybe they just did that to get out from being boxed in, and then they were right. being chased, and, and then they had enough time it. for Scotty to finally, you know, connect the right wire. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, I just remember them being boxed in, and then yeah. Picard doing some, just going over them, and 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 it being kind of cheesy. Kirk. Yes. Kirk. Yes. Man, I'm all over the place today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at least Jack Crusher died. There you go. Yeah, but it wasn't Picard's fault, so he's exactly. not going to have that weighing on him like he did. Exactly. It's uh, Captain whatever. What was it, Sarek? Yeah, Sorek or something like that. Yeah. That's pretty close to Sarek. It's yeah. like, can't they come up with some more unique Vulcan names? But So what, that's just an A? That's the only difference? The A? Instead of an O, there's an A? Right. right. Or, I mean, this guy. There's an O right. instead of Sarek's A, but whatever, right? Well, I think I think that's supposed to be some sort of religious reason, if I if I remember. Religious other... reason. So my understanding was that all the male Vulcan names are derivative of Surak, who was the 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 the, the founder who started the whole the logic, whole, the logic and emotionless thing. Yeah. Well, the names are damned close. So Surak, S-U-R-A-K, Sorak, S-O-R-E-K. So the vowels are different, right? But the consonants are all the same. And then, uh, and then there's Savic, which I think her name also was in the same vein. Very close. At least the first and last letters are the same. And then Spock, which was always kind of like this odd man out to show that he's not quite like all the other. Vocals. I I never knew anything about this. I mean, I just thought all the names were close. But come on, I, really? So they purposely. Name everybody almost the same name as Serac. Really? 
I, okay. I thought I'd read that in one of the uh, okay. Well, I, I guess it makes more sense than a lack of creativity on the on the part <laughs> of the writers. No, because they got to keep coming up with names that are similar. <laughs> we don't know, but yeah, okay, fine. Well, all you, all you do is swap out a few consonants, a few letters. I mean, uh, vowels. The yeah, boom, you got it. Going to run out eventually. Yeah. So, how about Sirac? We that they could do that. Sure, sure. Or Sirik. Yeah. Yeah, they got lots of options. Anyway. Anyways. So I the idea again that a non-human would be the emperor of the Terran Empire, Terran. And considering how uh what's the right word? They seem to be like, oh, humans are the greatest. And everybody else is like, eh, subservient, eh. That they right. would, that somehow Spock would be able to get into the position of being the emperor of the Terran Empire. That's something. That's a, that's a big move. And it we is. know that it ultimately backfires and, and is not the right choice. Yeah. Huh. Which well. I thought they did really well in the, in the Deep Space Nine episodes. The kind of show that, you know, not everything Kirk touched... You know, and thought he sets things into motion and left, and we never hear from him again. It, it, it sometimes doesn't work out the way right. you think it does at the end of that episode. Right. But the em- empire, like all empires, are going to come to an end eventually. I mean, if you rule through strength and intimidation, someday you will lose that strength. But. True. Whatever. Okay. Um, so I, I just thought it was very interesting how, um, Picard was basically setting himself up at the end of this issue to, uh, depose Spock or at least oppose his reign. Oppose his reign, right. So he's got some pretty, he's got some pretty lofty goals, um, ahead of him. And luckily it's mostly a human crew, (laughs) except for the ex-captain. Right. So, everybody seems quite happy with Picard. So, we'll see how far that lasts. <laughs> or we won't. Yeah. Well, it seems like a, a renegade ship to some degree, he seems right. to be saying. So. Yep. But they're all for it. I guess they're all tired of being, you know. Nice guys. Well, they're not nice guys. Well, yeah, that's right. Because I mean, Spock has turned them. Yeah, he's trying to tell them diplomacy. We we can reach an accommodation, uh, Captain Sorek is saying. Yeah, uh, guess work. again. Yeah. Well, uh, that is the right way to go. But after you've been an a, an a hole for so long, uh, <laughs> I don't think people are just going to roll over and say, "Oh yeah, let's talk." Not <laughs> blast you. Anyway. So speaking of the crew that are all saying, uh, you know, hail Picard. Yeah. Uh, on the very last page, kind of right in the middle, there's a panel where it shows um, a man and a woman on the left, and then behind them is some other crew saying hurrah and yes. Um, that man and woman on the on the left, do you think that they're supposed to be somebody that the artist is putting into the, into the book? Because they, 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 don't, they don't really look like Starfleet officers. No, they're they're a little heavy. Right. They're both uh, a little on the thick side. Especially the lady. The lady. Right. I, don't, I, I just don't know if uh, 
if we're supposed to know who they are or if they're just friends of the artists or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But the guy looks a little bit like Harriman's helmsman. Oh. <laughs> whatever his name was. I, I forgot, forgot his name. His name. Uh, but he was but in yeah. Generations, and he was in the uh, Harriman book. Right. Looks a little bit like that. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, anyways. They just seemed a little out of place. Right. Compared to all the other ones. Yep. Cool. All well, right, anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, then that's that's it for today. Cool. So we'll, we'll be back next week, and we'll do issues four and five, which go back to Kirk taking over the Enterprise. Very cool. So we'll see the details of how it, trans- tra- how it happens. And considering how close Spock appears to be with Pike... And appears to not be aligned because we didn't talk. When we talked about people that were aligned with Kirk, we didn't talk much about Spock. Spock appears to be right there with uh, Pike so yep. far. So, and right. we and we know in the Taws episode that uh, Spock, you know, Sp- Spock is unemotional. He's there with uh, with his captain. But he is able to be turned by good good Kirk. So right. mm, I think Spock's going to be an interesting wild card. And even if he does stick with Pike, somehow he ends up being around when Kirk's you know when Kirk takes over. So um, I think this could be an interesting transition. I think they're really just playing it up that uh, that Vulcans just go with the flow. <laughs> Until they see an opportunity to take over the Terran Empire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. All right. Okay, well, then let's close up and we'll be back next week. Excellent. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic.com. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.